Welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are really, really glad that you're here this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. Uh, we're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning uh, worshiping with us. A couple of quick announcements before we get started. Um, I'm going to turn your attention to, to these uh, guest cards. Um, they should be scattered about throughout the room. I believe every, uh, under every other seat, there should be one of these. And if you're a guest with us, you want more information about the church, how you can get plugged in, get involved, what you do is tear off the bottom portion of this, uh, write your name and your email on there, and then um, you can drop it at one of the offering boxes attached to the wall at the, the three doors, two over here, one over here, uh, as you leave, and we will follow up with you um, this week um, with that. And also, you can take the rest of it home. It gives more information about the church, who we are, just some high-level um, vision type things. Um, like I said, the offering box, if you were wondering where you give uh, your tithes and offerings, you can give those uh, at, the, at the boxes, two over here again and one over here um, by the door. But if you're a guest with us, we're really, really glad that you're here. We love uh, to get you connected and um, be able to send you our newsletter about what is going on in the life of Providence Road. A couple of uh, announcements, events coming up. Um, today is membership class. It's just more of an FYI. Those of you who have signed up, um, we had one last week. Uh, the second one is today, 5 o'clock um, here at the building. Also, for college students, I just want to mention something to you. We are on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. We are opening up um, the foyer out here um, for uh, college students to just come, hang out, um, study, um, talk, whatever you'd like to do. And so 8 to 10 Wednesday nights, there will be people up here, and those doors will be open. So if you want to come... And just uh, maybe, maybe you're new here and you're a college student and you want to get to know a few people, that's a really good place to come uh, for your first step um, if you are a college student. And lastly, um, I want to just make, remind you, I mentioned this last week for the first time, but we're having a grand opening weekend, uh, Friday, March 9th through Sunday, March 11th. Uh, March 9th, we're participating in uh, the, first, or the art walk for the first time in this new facility. And so we encourage you to come out and participate in art walk. Um, as, a, as just a citizen of Norman and, and the surrounding area, but also um, stop by here, hang out here for a little bit um, as a person that attends Providence Road. March 10th, we're having a pancake party from 10 to 1, and all we're doing is we're going to set up griddles outside, and we're just going to give away pancakes. To anybody who wants to come, this is really a chance for us to introduce ourselves uh, to the neighborhood. We want to be good neighbor, neighbors. We want to serve people. We want to bless the neighborhood, and um, we feel like on our grand opening Sunday, we just want um, to be able to do that. So um, again, come to that. Um, we, we ask you to come, attend, have fun, um, eat some pancakes. But if you want to come and you want to serve and maybe make some pancakes or come early to set up or whatever, talk to your missional community leader or come talk to me if you want to be a bigger part of this event and helping it um, uh, be pulled off. And then Sunday, um, nothing changes. Typical Sunday, 1030 um, here at at uh, the building that you are in right now. So let me, let me read the scripture <clears throat> that we'll be looking at today, and then we'll jump in. Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. And this is God's word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. 
God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Also in chapter 2, verse 15, connected to what we're going to look at today, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would uh, help us understand your word this morning. Pray that your spirit would change our minds, would change our hearts, would change the way we live, and <clears throat> we all have questions, we all have objections, I think, and to some degrees of, of the faith, and so I pray that we would be honest with our objections and our struggles this morning, and be able to, to, to maybe put those out there and to, to maybe question those things in light of the scriptures to doubt our doubts, and to really be honest with where we're coming from as it relates to some of these things. And I pray that you would um, allow us to receive your word. We trust that they are indeed your words. It's, it's your revelation to us. It's you making yourself known to humanity as we look at your word this morning. So God, I just pray that you would <clears throat> use this time uh, to encourage us and to change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're continuing on in our series, walking through the book of Genesis that we started just a few weeks ago. We are still in chapters one and two, and we're spending a lot of time here with this creation um, narrative here. So we're kind of titling this portion of Genesis, and it was good. Here we're looking at creation. We're really drilling down into the creation narrative and asking the question, what does this tell us about God? Who is God? Why did he create? And in light of those two questions, maybe it would help us figure out what in the world are we here for as human beings? What's our purpose? Like why create these things called humans if we were asking God back when he created us? So what is the point of all of this? Those are the questions we're trying to kind of answer as we walk through these two chapters. Now, the Bible we've seen teaches that God primarily created the world to reveal himself to humanity. And in response to him revealing himself to us, we would in turn honor him, worship him, and glorify him. It's pretty simple. We looked at that a few weeks ago. But here's the deal. That sounds all well and good. Sounds nice. But what in the world does that actually mean? Us as Christians are pretty good sometimes at throwing these big theological ideas and vision pieces out and not coming behind them and really explaining them and talking about how they actually matter in our day-to-day -day life. And I think this passage we're going to look at today really helps us in answering what does it look like to live in this world that God has created and put us in. And um, again, Blake, a couple weeks ago, um, talked about um, rest, 
I think this, this sermon connects to that um, in this way. Um, he looked at rest as in um, God resting on the seventh day of creation. He creates the first six. He rests, and because we're made in his likeness and in his image, we should also find places to work rest into our lives. We should do that as image bearers. And he pointed out that the uh, standard answer that we give to people when they ask us, how are we? It's, oh, I'm busy. And I'm just slammed. Things are crazy right now. And, and I don't, uh, I think all, we actually feel, we really do feel like busy and we're slammed. We, we feel those things. And I think we, we have very little margin in our days. And with the margin that we do have, I think we tend to try to maybe medicate and numb ourselves because we're so stressed out and anxious about the rest of our day. And a lot of that for many of us comes in the form of entertainment, technology, spending a lot of time looking at screens. And as Blake was preaching a couple weeks ago, I felt convicted because I felt like this is me. Like this is me. He's talking about me here. And I first began asking the question, why? Like, Why do I feel the stress and anxiety that I often feel just in my day in and day out life. And then thinking about how it connects to what we're talking about today, like if I, I wonder if those feelings would go away if I would more often come back to God's intention for why I was created, the reason why God put me here. And would that, if I remembered that, would that shape these feelings that I feel often day in and day out? I think if you're like me, I'm pretty good at having like a vision for my life and a purpose for my life and looking maybe a year ahead or three years ahead and really saying, this is my purpose. But I am not good at actually that coming down in my day in and day out life and affecting my joy and affecting my freedom and the ability to, to, to kind of keep away anxiety and stress and these kinds of things. So how does it get worked down into those spaces of our life, in the, in the everyday stuff of life? So last week, we talked about being made in the image and likeness of God, and with that comes um, identity, and it, become, it, it gives us dignity. And because we have dignity, all other human beings have dignity, it shapes the way and it affects the way we treat one another as human beings. There's also a third thing that we're given because we're made in God's image, and it's responsibility. We are given a great responsibility because we've been made in God's image, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's look at Genesis 1.28. We're going to spend the majority of our time in this verse today. It says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, this statement is also known as the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. A mandate is just an assignment. So if that helps, cultural assignment. And really, in this statement, we get a very clear idea of why we're put here. Why we're put on earth. And there seems to be two parts to this mandate. The first part is be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's number one. The second, of, the second one is to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it. Dominion there, I think a better word for us to understand is to, to rule over. One who has dominion over something rules over that thing. 
So let's take those two things. First off, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It seems pretty straightforward. All things that God has created, he's hardwired into the DNA of them to reproduce and multiply. From fruits, plants have seeds. Animals are hardwired into their DNA to reproduce, as well as human beings. We are created and we are, um, we are wired to reproduce after our own kind. Within us, there's power to bring new life. Another way to look at this is to say we are God's image bearers and we are to create more image bearers that would image him throughout the earth, which brings him more glory and more honor, which back again is the reason why he created, to reveal himself to humanity. So one of the ways to do this is that men and women would conceive and give birth to more image bearers. But with this statement brings up a few things that I think we need to briefly touch on. I don't have enough time, to, as much time as I really like to spend on these things, but I want to touch on these things because I think they do come up when we are thinking about the be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. First one, let's take infertility. Okay. In a room this size, I'm guessing some people struggling with infertility. And those of you who know my wife and I well, that is a big part of our story. We've been trying to give birth to biological children for over a decade now. We've had a couple of miscarriages. We don't know what God's doing, but that's, he's, he's writing part of that story for us. And we've adopted, a, 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 he's two now, he, we've adopted him. And so God is, has plans, other plans for us potentially, and maybe fulfilling this cultural mandate. But I wanna say to those of you who are struggling with infertility, I wanna take this time to know, for, for me to say to you that I understand I, I, I feel your pain. And when you read stuff like this, it doesn't help. This is before the fall. And before the fall, before sinning came into the world and messed things up in our bodies, we had the perfect ideal for how humans would be born into the world. But you have the fall come into the world, and we're all affected by that in different ways. So and infertility is a result of the fall. So I want you all to hear that, and if you need to talk to someone, you need to process that with someone, if you just need to like get vent on that issue, please, please come talk to myself or Nicole. We would love to talk to you about that, okay? So infertility is one of those things that we need to address, and, and a way around that is to adopt. And we, we don't all, we're not all called to adopt, but I think a way around that that we've decided is that we're going to take... Uh, Girls and boys who, for whatever reason, their families aren't able to take care of them, bring them into our family, and hopefully create an environment where they will be image bearers um, or image God well, and maybe potentially have more image bearers one day. And so that is the way we are kind of approaching how God's writing our story. Maybe for some of you, it's bringing people into your home and really creating this culture of mentoring and, and discipleship where you are actually helping one another image God better in this world. So infertility is one thing that I think I want to touch on as it relates to this. The second thing is singleness. What if you're single? What if that's a part of your story? Well, we know that Jesus and Paul never gave birth. They weren't, well, we know they didn't give birth. There we go. Softball. There we go. Okay. Um, they were single. You get it. 
Um, they were single. And so if you're single and you hear this and that is a struggle for you, you are in good company. You're in good company, Jesus and Paul. So just know that as you read this, I want to touch on those, those two things to make sure that, um, yeah, that those things don't trip us up. But back to the mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. I think this is something that is worth lifting up in our culture because right now the, the, uh, the sacrifice that goes into having kids and raising kids and the difficulty that brings a lot of times and our culture says, wouldn't it just be easier on us adults if we didn't have kids? Aren't kids a drain? Aren't kids difficult? Like what's the purpose? So we feel that I think for our, our culture in this day and age. And we need to lift this verse up as we read it and say, no, it's a good thing. It is a godly thing to have kids. It's great. It's wonderful. And we need to, to, to lift up having families. And having families is a good thing. And we need to make sure we, we preach this as a corrective to, I think, some of this cultural pressure that maybe sometimes we get. Okay, So that's the first part of the cultural mandate is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Let's look at the second one. We'll spend the rest of our time on this one. It says, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Okay, subdue it and have dominion or to rule over. I think these, I think these words um, are, are, are getting at this idea that God has passed on, has delegated his authority to human beings. His authority he has on the earth, we've just seen that in creation. He kind of stops here and says, I'm giving, some, I'm giving you some responsibility now. Okay, I'm, I'm putting you in this place, and I'm expecting you to do some things. Okay, these words kind of, there, there's a couple of different um, ways these, these words are, are in their original languages are used. Oftentimes, they're used with, um, in, in areas of kingdom and political power, and, and, and ancient kings would set up images of themselves. It was a large kingdom all over the empire, so uh, the people in that kingdom will all, would always be reminded of who was in authority. Statues, images, these kinds of, of, of things. That's still even done to, to this day and age. But they also have the connotation, especially as they're used in the Bible, in this priestly function. Like when it's talking about the temple in the Old Testament. There's some religious function to this where, where he, the, 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 when we're given dominion and we rule over and subdue things, it's in the context of caring for and caring for something delicate and to seeing that it's used for its right purposes. Okay, so I think we have to keep both of those definitions in mind as we really dig into what these words actually mean. And we're to have this posture of this benevolent care for the rest of creation. And God has entrusted us with creation and to steward it well. God is a wise and powerful ruler, and we, as he delegates that to us, we um, operate with those same qualities. We rule with these same qualities. And we're, we are kings over nature because nature is subject to us. We bear his image. That's our role. However, even ancient kings, if they, they would take care, they knew it was in their role to take care of the least of these in their country or in their context because they were part of their kingdom. So even uh, earthly rulers are, care, are careful to take care of everything in a benevolent way that is under their rule. 
So we are, the way we rule on earth should reflect the character of God, which means we don't abuse or exploit creation. And you can see our, our role here combines this kingly function and role with also the priestly function and role. And we know of another person who fulfilled both of those roles perfectly, and that's Jesus. He was a king, yes, but he was also a priest. And we, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see both of those elements coming out in him. And that should be the same thing for us. We are to act as God's representatives. Now, before, um, uh, we used to have dogs, my, uh, Nicole and I. And so whenever we go out of town, um, oftentimes we would have someone stay at our house. They would stay at our house. And we would tell them things like, hey, like make yourself at home. You can eat anything we have in there. Like watch whatever you want to watch on TV. Enjoy our house like it's your own. You know, what bed do you want to sleep in? We'll make it up for you. We'll make sure that you have everything you need. We want you to flourish and thrive in these few days that you're staying in our home. But what if we would have come back and there's stains on the carpet, there's holes in the wall, there's trash just strewn out all over the house, and our dogs are dead. There'd be a problem, right? There'd be a problem with that because what we've done is we've given you the authority for this length of time to watch over our home. We've given them stewardship over it, stuff that means a lot to us, and therefore they've, they, they've kind of taken that and abused the, the role and what they've, we've been given. And we were gracious. We, were, we, were, we let them have access to our home and to enjoy it. Um, and there would be problems. And so I think this is a similar way, what God has done with us. We are his representatives here. And I think these definitions of these, 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 these phrases are helpful, but I think um, there's a better way to dig even deeper into what does this mean for our lives today. Um, we notice when God first created the material world, in, 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 in Genesis 1-1, it didn't come ready-made. It wasn't all made it says that, that the, the earth was formless, void, and empty. And then we saw in days one, two, and three, um, he first forms the earth, where it was unshaped, undifferentiated, very generic. He builds form into that. He, he separates things. He distinguishes things. He takes very generic things and gives form to them. And we saw on days four, five, and six, he actually brings life into those things. Gives plants, vegetation, animals, humans. So first God forms it, and then he fills it. And it's interesting, these two statements here in Genesis 28, we're told the same two things. First, we're called to form it, and then fill it. Or both of those two things. We're called to, to form it, to build structure, to be creating, to uh, rule and to subdue. And then he also says to fill it. Fill this. So we're actually doing the same things that God has done previously in creation. So we even see more details about how our role is and how he's given us these things to mirror what he is doing. We're called to fill and to form. But how does that answer the question I asked at the beginning? Like, what does this look like for me in the everyday? 
specifically to subdue and to rule over creation. So I want to make sure that we can apply this to our everyday lives. And I think God gives us the answer. He introduces this metaphor in Genesis 2, verse 15. In the same context here, it says the Lord took the man, and he would, in Genesis 2, he would, he would be, he would about to, he's about to make Eve here as well, and he's given both of them this um, cultural mandate. So when you see man there, think man and woman, because Eve's about to be created. God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So now we're kind of like gardeners. We're in a garden now. And something we can really start to see and grab onto. Okay, there's a garden here. What, is it, what goes into taking care of a garden? And how can we apply that to other areas? Well, I think for the sake of time, um, to not have to explain all this, Tim Keller, I think, uh, nails it with this quote. So I'm going to read this quote. And I think what uh, Keller's trying to do here, he's trying to, f- trying to get underneath this one verse and really um, help us understand it. So um, kind of follow along on the screen while I read this. Nature is not bad and needs to be beaten down. But it is undifferentiated, undeveloped, and uncultivated. When we take a piece of land and garden and farm it, or preserve it so it can produce its peculiar life splendors, when we take fabric and make a piece of clothing, when we push a broom to clean up a place, when we use technology to harness the forces of electricity, when we take an unformed, naive human mind and teach it a subject, when we take unprocessed material and turn it into poignant work of art, when we take undifferentiated tones and pitches or noise and separate them out and arrange them to create music, even when we pass a comb through our hair, whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation further than where it was when we found it, we are continuing God's work of creative cultural development. Just as he subdued the earth in his work of creation, so he calls us now to labor as his representatives in a continuation and extension of that work. So here's what this metaphor, I think, does for us. Um, it, It helps us understand that we're to take this garden and cultivate it and allow it to grow, and we're pushing Eden out. So our particular slice of life, Adam and Eve had Eden, and God, in chapters one and two, he was saying, extend Eden, cultivate it, create new things to grow, and extend Eden out throughout the rest of the earth. Uh, about 10 years ago, an author by the name of Andy Crouch wrote a very influential book called Culture Making, and in it, he addresses kind of the verses we looked at today, and instead of using the term gardeners, he uses culture makers culture makers. And he defines culture as primarily the name for our relentless, restless human effort to take the world as it's given to us and make something else. So God gives us creativity. He gives us intellect. He hardwires that into our DNA. And then he gives us the raw materials to use our intellect with these raw materials to create culture, to make stuff, to bring form to things. Okay, you take the example of soil. God's given us soil. We learn about soil. We figure out what things grow in different soils, what soil's best for this and that, and we um, do the planting. We drop the seeds in it. We cultivate. We make sure that plant is growing, but God gave us the soil to begin with, and we cultivate that soil. Same thing with something like grain. 
He gives us grain, the raw material, and over many, many hundreds and thousands of years, we've learned how to make really delicious food out of grain. That food didn't come ready-made. God gave us the grain, and we cultivated it. We brought um, bread and things like this to life out of this grain. So this is the primary way we rule and subdue the earth, is by really creating culture. Those of you who have traveled to any place that's different than the place you're from or you're here, you go to different cultures, even in our country. It's like the food's different. The language is different. Those languages just didn't pop up out of nowhere. He gave humans these things called voice boxes. He gave us the ability to make sound, and then people got together and codified these noises into letters, which make words, which make a language. The humans cultivated culture here, especially language. They do this with food and art and sports and all of these other things. What I'm getting at here is not, all this doesn't happen by accident. We were given the raw materials, and as humans, we've cultivated the culture. And this is the cultural mandate. God is the original culture maker, and we are subculture makers under him, and he gives us this um, responsibility to steward and extend his kingdom. But what are the implications of this, okay? So how, how, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, there are a few things, there's many things, but a few I want to touch on. Um, I think it gives further evidence and proof that the God of the Bible exists. Because I think we would all admit, no matter where we come into here, what we think about God and Jesus and Christianity, there's something inside of us that desires to make culture, to make things. This depends on your personality and gifting, those kinds of things. But we are, we like to create. We like to, to do stuff in the earth. We like to enjoy creation. Okay? And I think we, we have something deep inside of us that wants to take what God has given us and make it better or fix things. How did that get there? Like that, that sense inside of us doesn't just happen if we've been created from atoms bouncing off of each other eventually, one day. There was design and intentionality for that thing inside of us that we talk about that. This is why art and nature and other disciplines can move us in such deep ways. Like, how do you just logically explain when you look at a piece of art or watch a, or hear a story and you're moved to tears or joy? Like, how do you explain that if there wasn't something that was hardwired into us that allowed humans to cultivate those things and us as humans to respond to those things to bring forth, like, such awesome emotions or such awful emotions on the flip side of things. I think it gives further proof that the God of the Bible exists. And, and that's what I feel and what I think. Um, next, um, I think um, the other, another implication is that we have a balanced view of um, nature and the environment itself, okay? Now, um, I don't, I, I'm, this is way above my pay grade to get into environmentalism and how this affects the Bible. Like, I am not at all equipped to speak to that. So I'm, as equipped to speak to this is what I'm about to say. So I think you have two extremes here as it relates to, to, to the creation. On one end, you can say that all of creation is God. And we are to treat creation as like it's, it's God itself. And therefore, we're to worship creation because God is in all creation. 
That is not what the Bible teaches. It's clear that we are, we have been, we are kings over creation. Uh, creation is under us in that authority structure. We've been given that to rule and to subdue over. So I don't think you can get that from the scripture. Now, the other end to say that we've been given all this stuff and we can do whatever we want to with it without any repercussions and just do whatever we want to and it's gonna benefit our pleasure and benefit us and we're not thinking about God, we're not thinking about how it affects other humans. If that's the extreme we run to, I don't think the passage would support that as well. Those are two extremes. You have a lot of gray area in between and this is where we have discussion and have wisdom and look at other parts of the scripture to wrestle with what do we do with that gray area. And we look at science and listen to people who really study this and all of those things to come up kind of with a philosophy of how we should um, deal with creation. What does it look like to rule and subdue it um, when some of these um, more difficult issues come up? So I think that is an implication of this teaching. And lastly, and I think it's what I want to spend the rest of our time on, is it gives us a a remarkably high view of work. This gives us a high view of work. Just the same way that first kind of command tells us to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, that gives us a high view of the family and having children, the families are good. The same way with the second one, it raises um, our view and value of work. I think in this part of the country, many people in, in the church world that we think that a paid minister is this noble and high calling And then if you're not a paid minister, it's just kind of a normal thing. And I think this totally destroys that. I think it destroys the the gap that we see maybe between a vocational minister and a secular way or a, a way to make a living in the marketplace or outside the church walls. And we see here from science to art to farming to 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 in jobs that are intensive in labor to entertainment to sports. All of those things are bringing things that are unformed, unformed nature and human nature and drawing out the potential and shaping it, which is extending Eden, just pushing out God's original creation to, 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 to subdue it and to rule over it. And we're, next week, we're going to spend all of our time looking at work. That's all I'm going to say about work today, because we're going to really dig into that work idea next week and talk about how it relates to this passage. But here's the problem. In Genesis 3, like I mentioned last week, we're not there yet, but something goes wrong. Something goes terribly wrong. And so sin comes into the world through our first man and first woman, Adam and Eve, and now we are not as humans working with a blank canvas. We don't have this blank canvas to just go out and make culture into whatever we want to make it. Now things are really, really difficult. The nature Creation and man are at odds with each other. Humans to humans are at odds with each other. Humans and God are at odds with each other. There is just brokenness and relational strife in all of creation now. But we still have this mandate. But instead of just creating culture, we have to be peacemakers. We have to be reconcilers. We have to be agents of redemption. So now we have even more of a responsibility now, especially if you're a follower of Jesus in here. So if you, we still want to create good art, but this art needs to promote love. Because oftentimes love is what we need in the world in a specific place. We should still farm, but 
this farming should also have one eye on the people who are hung, people, population groups who are hungry and don't have access to food. We should still find sources of clean water, technology in the area of water, but we should also bring the technology to drill wells in places and areas where they don't have access to clean drinking water. Um, we should entertain. Entertainment should still happen, but we should do it with the aim that I think brings out the best in humanity, brings out the imago day in creation. We lay down our power to serve those who aren't in power, who don't have a voice. And I think here in the suburbs, to bring this back to Norman, I think two of our greatest enemies, and they're often hidden, are stress, like anxiety, and loneliness. This is just from my experience and having grown up here, um, stress and loneliness. And your 600 followers on Instagram do not cure that loneliness. Hopefully you know that. Like it actually may make it worse, okay? So think lonely, having depth of in-person relationships where you can be vulnerable to someone and someone can really speak encouragement into your life. And so when we're feeling these things, like I mentioned at the beginning, we, we medicate. We're in the suburbs. We can consume. We have access to stuff. We have access to money. We consume, we can medicate, and we can numb ourselves so we don't have to deal with our stress. We don't have to deal with our loneliness. So for culture makers, for people who are agents of redemption now, the church, Christians, here's the question. How can we create things in this city that bring healing and peace to people who are tired and lonely and over-medicated, which is all of us, by the way, because we're in Norman and we struggle and we fight against all of these things. So what can we do? What can we create? What can we come up with to help these things be healed or go away? I have some ideas. I don't know if they're good ideas, but I want to hear your ideas, and I want to get together and talk about how you see these systematic issues in Norman. How are we going to be good news? How are the church going to be involved in these um, elements to bring healing and see God work in these areas? And I think one great thing about just the church is that the culture mandate really calls out the priesthood of the believer, meaning that once we start talking about a vision like this, it can't just be the vocational pastors and worship leader to, to, to work in these things. It requires all of us. And it actually probably will require more work outside of this building than in the building. It means it moves beyond a house that you host a missional community in. It moves beyond normal church functions. It's a 24-7, all-of-life thing that requires creativity and conversations and ideas that will bring um, peace and bring healing and bring those kinds of things to the city of Norman. So I'm going to end on this. How does this happen? Because I want to give you a, a, a few practical things moving forward. I think uh, we start small. We don't get overwhelmed with the, the, the needs I think, or the needs to bring culture to certain areas. We take our little slice of life in Norman or Moore or Oklahoma City and ask, in my area, how, am I noticing any of these areas of brokenness? And how can I, how can I meet those? How can I um, be creative and God allow my creativity to help and bless this particular group of people? Um, 
And I think I'm not just talking about meeting the needs that are right in front of us. I think we're called to do that anyway, and we're good at seeing those things. But to see things like loneliness, like what's, what's the solution for loneliness in a very hyper-technological age? Like how are we going to create spaces where people actually talk to each other still and face-to-face? I have no idea. But I, I'm sure in a room this size, there are some really good ideas out here. And the church can come behind that and maybe address some of those things. Another practical thing, grab a few other people. Um, grab two or three other people and talk, start talking about ideas. Um, it's best to process some of the stuff you have. Grab two or the three people that you do life and community with and start dreaming and talk, what it would look like to be a culture maker for you in the context. Um, and then I'll say this, college students, um, don't minimize your four to five years here. You may be thinking, well, I'm going to be out of Norman in a year and a half. Well, you got a year and a half. I mean, Jesus and his disciples had three years and kind of flipped the world upside down. Uh, you got a year and a half. So don't punt on Norman and think about the next city. Like, pour your life into Norman while you're here. You guys are some of the sharpest, and you guys are on the cutting edge of stuff that's going on because you're at, at, at OU. Like, we want to hear from you and, 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 and see Norman as your home. So to close, um, like all humans are given the cultural mandate. But through the fall, we need to be reconciled back to God our Father. So Jesus came, died for sinful human beings, and through faith and his grace and his mercy, he reconciled, God reconciles us back to himself through the Son. We have back into family with God, those of us who are followers of Jesus and have faith. So we know what it looks like for peace and for redemption and for reconciliation to happen in our lives. Like deep inside of us, we understand what that looks like as it relates to our relationship to God, that vertical piece. Now, how is that going to overflow in like a horizontal way to the rest of creation? Obviously, we need to speak about the gospel and the good news. But the passage we looked at today is talking about making culture, ruling over it, subduing it. What does that look like. And I think um, on this side of the cross, we have that piece as well, redemption and seeing people reconciled back to God. And this, is, this, this calling is, is massive. It's, it's huge and it's great, but we know the way this story ends. Our king, who's given us this authority, one day will return in power. He will set up what you could call a new Eden, the new heavens and the new earth, and he will make everything right, and our days as culture makers will be over. We can now actually enjoy the new heavens and the new earth where there's no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more brokenness, no more of these things that we are to be about solving um, in this day and age. So we can take comfort that that's where everything's headed, and we're just on board um, to see little pieces of that redemption come into our specific area. And one day, it won't just be Ad, uh, um, Adam and Eve. Um, the, new, the new Eden won't just have Adam and Eve and God. We'll have people from all tribes, tongues, nations, and people groups that have ever lived worshiping Jesus. So this new Eden will be greater than the first Eden. And we can have hope in that with such a huge task that's been given to us. Let's pray. Father, once again, I'm... As I study the scriptures more, I'm amazed and, and, and blown away at 
how much you speak to our day in and day out lives and that we don't have to try to make scripture relevant. We don't have to try to, to water down what you say or, 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 or soft sell the scripture. That if we just dig into these passages, we see how relevant these things are to our life. We see that you've given us a clear um, vision of what our day in and day out lives are to look like, whether we're working or we're at home with kids or whether we're having fun and enjoying life or spending time at church, whatever it is, the underlying thing that we are to do is we are to rule and subdue over all creation. So I pray you would give us creativity. I pray you would give us strength. I pray you would give us a trust in your, um, the empowering presence of your spirit that is inside of us, inside of uh, the church to be able to accomplish these great things. I pray we would be people who are passionate about your gospel, would preach your gospel, preach your good news, but I pray we wouldn't be people that would just stop with how to be reconciled back to God. I pray that we would be a people who bring good news and bring good systems and bring good ideas to the table to make this world a better place and to bring just that slice or that taste of um, the new heavens and the new earth um, to Norman and to the surrounding area. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.